riverreporter.com, and from listener donations at wjffradio.org. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to The Local Edition, news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for Wednesday, Patricia Robayo, filling in for Jason Dole, who has the night off. In the second half of the show, we'll be checking in with Jim Hunton of Workship Live to find out what's happening in the economic world and how it affects us here locally. But first... It's Wednesday on the Local Edition, and every Wednesday we check in with the River Reporter to find out what's happening in the pages and what's happening in the Sullivan Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. On the phone with us now is the one and only Liam Mayo. Liam, welcome back to the program. Hi, Patricia. Thanks for having me back. Glad to have you. Now, uh, the Title Construction has released a draft comprehensive plan um, involves housing and involves short-term rentals. Uh, what can you tell us about this uh, comprehensive plan that just came out? Yeah. So the Town of Coshocton, as you mentioned, has released a draft of its comprehensive plan update. Um, towns generally update their comprehensive plans once every 10 years, and Coshocton's was last updated in 2011, so that's about in the time frame. Um, there's some updates on demographic information with uh, Coshocton showing a 4.3% increase in population between 2010 and 2021, as well as um, a little bit of an aging population. And uh, the update expressed some concerns that if trends continue, uh, the dependent group where it is people who are elderly and or dependent um, may outnumber the working class population that's going to support it. Um, but that's a little bit of an issue for the future for the town to think about. One of the issues that the comprehensive plan thought about for today for the town was, as you mentioned, housing and short-term rentals. Comprehensive plan itself doesn't have like a regulatory function, but in the process of writing up the comprehensive plan update, uh, the town and the town's consultant, Tom Shepstone, drafted a set of short-term rental regulations. Um, these are pretty straightforward. Um, every short-term rental, like an Airbnb or a Verbo, would need a license. Every short-term rental would need a local contact person able to respond within an hour to any notice of violation. Uh, there are some limits on how many people can be in one short-term rental, some limits on the storage of trash, uh, the level of noise and disturbance, um, some fire safety measures. But on the whole, it's sort of aimed at continuing to let short-term rentals exist and continuing to let people make money off of them um, while also making sure that they're not, like, unsafe and they're not a uh, harm to the community from increased levels of noise or trash or anything. Right. And like I said, uh, I've, I've been a couple of uh, town board meetings that have uh, folks come in and complain about uh, some of those aspects of noise complaints and uh, strangers coming to uh, towns. Um, so I always see every year some kind of uh, new regulation in, in each town, um, putting, you know, various things. Like, I you know, town of Fallsburg, the, the Airbnb has to be registered with the town and it also has to be inspected um, 
fire inspection to make sure everything is safe and and the house is structurally sound and, and livable. So it's good that you know these things are happening because I think I can only see it growing more and more uh, as more people move up here and um, and using also the natural resources as a way to uh, create income for themselves. So yeah, they they definitely are happening more and more that municipalities are taking a look at this. I think the county as a whole, within the past couple of years, took a look at. Uh, the way they were taxing Airbnbs to make sure they got like the appropriate hotel tax from them. Um, and I think uh, Kashekton's, um plan falls pretty in much in the middle of what I've seen from other regulations in the area, where it's not sort of restricting the level of Airbnbs that the town can have, or it's not as much addressing the impact Airbnbs can have on housing, because if like all of the houses in the town are turned into short-term rentals, that can have an impact on the uh, levels of affordable housing that are there. Um, so it's not addressing that so much, but it is going beyond kind of the bare minimum requirement of like, okay, just pay us a little bit for a license and we'll make sure to get our money's worth out of you. Um, it is putting some regulations in place to make sure they're a positive force for the town um, while also encouraging um, their growth and encouraging sort of the tourists that may come here because of them. And the town of Highland is also looking to simplify their short-term rentals. So that's, I'm sure, to encourage business to come to the town. Yeah. Um, so the town of Highland passed its short-term rental like rental regulations a while ago. I don't remember exactly when, but they've had short-term regulation, rental regulations. Um, what they're trying to do now is simplify the application a little bit. Um, current process, I think, requires a special use permit. And in certain instances, based on like the different regulatory agencies that are overseeing stuff in the river corridor, a special use permit um, can have a bit of a lengthy lead time to getting approved. So I think what the town is looking at is making sure that people can sort of expeditiously get a permit for a short-term rental. Uh, the code enforcement officer, B.J. Gettle, who was talking about this, uh, was very clear and said, we are trying to promote business here. So Highland and Kushekton are a little similar in that way where they are trying to promote or their regulations are trying to make sure everything's safe and make sure everything is good for the town while still um, allowing the business of Airbnbs to take place. Uh, but they did also emphasize sort of the safety of their current regulations. Um, so every short-term rental application requires an inspection with stuff like, are there smoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors? Um, is the property neat and clean? Is the exterior lighting impacting other properties? I can see this being a good thing, like you keeping track of not only these properties, but keeping them safe from, from for folks uh, visiting, coming to our county. And, you know, do you want to go to a place that's safe and, and you know, uh, livable? Uh, make sure, you know, if something bad happens with a fire or anything like that, there is some kind of fire protection as far as like smoke detectors go. And some of the overcrowding regulations, I think, can fall into that category, too. Like, yes, saying, as I believe some of these regulations do, that you can only have two people per bedroom plus another two people total across the house. 
that feels very restrictive if you're just taking a first glance at it. But if you have 20 people in a house that was really only designed for eight and a fire breaks out and you're all trying to get out of the house at the same time, um, it could absolutely be a safety concern. So um, I think these are sort of the regulations that a lot of towns across Sullivan County are looking at, where they're trying to make sure these um, home businesses are safe for uh, their neighbors, um, that they're good neighbors to the community, but also sort of, as you pointed out, that they're safe for the visitors and the tourists who want to come here. Uh, let's take a look uh, across the river at the borough of Holmesdale. Uh, they began the process of revising the rates on their parking meters. What can you tell us about this process and the upgrade uh, that's going to happen? Yeah, so borough of Honesdale has been working for a little while on updating uh, their parking meters. Uh, they've increased the cost of parking to 50 cents an hour at the beginning of the year. Uh, they've also increased uh, the fines for a meter violation um, to $15 for a meter violation, and they will stay at $25 if not paid within 24 hours. Um, so what's kind of currently happening, I believe starting yesterday, was uh, the borough is actually, um, according to this, press release, what they're having to do is they're going to have to actually take the physical parking meters off of the streets, bring them back into the shop with a special device for calibration, and then return them. So uh, they wanted to inform people that um, if you pull up to a parking spot and it doesn't have a meter there, uh, parking is free for that spot for that time. Meters in the shop. Um, and then it will be returned, and there will be uh, this new increased rate. I believe I've been to the borough of Holmes then. I just maybe uh, I'm not remembering, but are these meters single? Each parking spot has a meter, or are they sort of uh, a group meter like they have in Manhattan or something like that? Mm, no, they're individual to each spot, or at least they were the last time I was there. So. All good stuff. Uh, Liam, thank you so much for joining us on the local edition, letting us know what's happening in the pages of The River Reporter. We were talking to Liam Mayo, the reporter for The River Reporter. Uh, Liam, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Take care. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We get a chance to speak to Jim Huntington on Workship Live. Find out what's happening in the economic world. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. It's easy to suffer from information overload these days. Social media posts that just keep scrolling, bite-sized headlines sent to your phone and even your watch. I'm Ira Plato. Every week on Science Friday, we take a step back for a longer look into the big ideas in science. Take a deeper dive with us. It's all on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Friday afternoon at 2 on Radio Catskill.
Welcome back to the local edition. News and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Wednesday, Teresa Robayo. It's Wednesday, and you know what that means. Wednesday means we get to talk to the one and only Jim Huntington from Workshick Live. We turn our eyes to the economy and here to give us the latest on what's going on in the economic world and to help us make sense of it all is Jim Huntington from Workshick Live. Welcome, Jim, to the program. Good evening, Patricio. Good evening, listeners. Welcome back to the program, Jim. There was an announcement last week about inflation. Was was the announcement good? Was it bad? What can you tell us? Well, the news is very good. It, according to the report that was issued last week, it's going up only 6.5%. And that's over the past year. Over the past six months, it's only 2% annually. So that's down 0.7%, 1.5%. It keeps dropping. It's looking quite good. It's certainly not contributing anything to anyone's idea of a recession. So we're in good shape. The core inflation also that takes out food and fuel prices, looks at everything else, and that's down to 5.7% annually. That's really historically not even a high inflation rate. So we're getting better, folks. Mm. So if if those indications are same seems like not to you know going going down the road of recession uh, it just seems like a lot of companies are fearing that already I mean just read today that Microsoft is laying out I believe ten thousand workers uh, because of the fear of the future economic uh, outlook. Well, those things are overstated. What we always hear loudly about the large companies that are dropping some number of thousands or even tens of thousands of jobs. But what they don't shout at you is that's spread out over a number of months or even years. So Microsoft's 10,000 workers is going to be over three months. So that's 3,300 or something a month. When you put that next to our average jobs gain over the last six months of about 300,000, that really doesn't look like much of anything. Jobs come, jobs go, companies add them, companies take them away. It's really nothing to get scared about. If you're with Microsoft, obviously you have something to do in front of you, but there's no real problem as far as the economy goes when we get these announcements. And as far as a recession goes, we are nowhere near having one. It it's bewilders me so much that people are thinking we're going to have one. Now, we could at any time. We could always have one in the next calendar year. There's no such thing as an economy that's so strong that it would make us recession-proof for years. But there's no reason for that right now. Unemployment has been sitting at about 3.5%. That's very, very low. And inflation is going down. It seems like everything is going to end reasonably from where we are now. I mean, no guarantees. I mean, past performance, like with investments, there's no guarantee of future results. But it seems awfully good from here. The economy is really very strong right now. Oh, that's good news. And we talked a little brief, briefly about unemployment. Uh, what is the latest on unemployment in our listening area? 
Okay, we have November's data. That's the most recent here. Sullivan is at 2.7%. Orange, 2.6%. Ulster County, 2.5% unemployment. Wayne County, 4.0%. And Pike County, 4.8%. Now, these are all up very close to or right on 0.3% from last month. But last month was so good that it may have been something of a fluke. We're still doing very well in terms of this area and how it's looking nationwide. The national unemployment rate, it's unadjusted as these were, was 3.4%. So that's quite a bit higher than the three New York counties in our listening area, and not that that much lower than the two Pennsylvania ones. So we're still in excellent shape. We're still obviously doing the job around here for getting a lot of jobs in our area. It's weaker, but it's still definitely a strength. Now let's talk about remote work. This is something that you've talked about a lot, and you sent me a message saying that remote work could take a downturn. What do you mean by that? Well, there's been a lot. There's been a lot written on this subject. I feel like I've talked you listeners, talked your ears off about this topic. I've written a great deal on it also. So what we have here is a couple of opinions by good sources. This is by Sarah Kessler, longtime reporter for the New York Times. And she is pointing out that even with the layoffs and such, we're now at about 30% of all jobs are being worked remotely. 30% of job days, what have you, that's up from 5% in 2019. So it was as high as 60% at the peak time for remote work during the pandemic, May 2020. But it's quite high. And that she is also saying that hybrid work is the most common work situation right now that people who are working both remotely and in the office certain numbers of days a week, it seems to come down not far from two or three days per week, depending on the job. Now, the downside to this, the area of concern is that, as I have said before, the remote work thing has been on a pendulum swinging from one end to another. It was getting very low in 2019. You could go back some years and find maybe 10 or 15% of the work days being done from home. But it will go back. It'll certainly go back. I agree with her that I don't see it disappearing. It's not going to go away completely. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if even as soon as, say, two years from now, that 30% has turned into 10%. What I'm seeing a lot now is, in when we see job listings, a lot of them are offering remote work or a combination of that, of uh, a hybrid work, uh, part-time at the office, part-time at home. Right now, in the job situation we have, there have been companies having real problems filling positions that are only in the office. So that's putting pressure on them. The workers in generally can afford to 
be more choosy about what they want. So that's it is putting pressure on them. Well, let's talk about infrastructure. I'm hearing things uh, in locally about infrastructure. Everyone's working on infrastructure, especially in the new year. A lot of towns, villages always talk about infrastructure. Uh, but what's new in infrastructure jobs that will be offered soon? Well, remember all that money the feds appropriated for infrastructure worth the 1.2 trillion well it's now getting distributed to states and we're just starting to see a lot more positions so we have different projections we have different opinions on what it is they run as high as 900,000 new jobs for the next decade ones that aren't there right now in construction and manufacturing related things. We haven't had much change yet. It's really just getting started, but it's clear that we will need more people working in these fields. It's also helping the union situation. I've talked before about unions resurgence, especially in large modern companies like Amazon and Starbucks, where they had frankly got a little sloppy in their management, letting bad situations go around, and they let unions in. Well, these jobs with manufacturing and construction infrastructure in general have historically been very strong for unions. So look for them to grow also. And in fact, if they treat their employees wrong in as many ways as some of the other companies expect more and growing union activity. Um, and now talk about, uh, we talked a little briefly about, you know, when I mentioned about seeing listings for hybrid work, what is a ghost job and how can someone avoid applying for a ghost job? Okay, this is a new name, new modern name given to something that's been around for a long time. They are really bogus positions being offered. They're ones where they're not hiring anyone. This was a big deal as far back as the 70s and maybe even before when often they were described as blind job ads where they wouldn't tell you the company. Those could be ones that didn't exist where they were just checking the market, seeing how many people are out there. What? Yeah, this was a piece from BuzzFeed, which didn't shine so much light on this happening. We know it's still happening, but it gave a lot of possible reasons and countermeasures. One is that if you're seeing something, well, right now Microsoft is in the news and a couple others for cutting positions. If you see an ad for a job Pretty much like, as far as you can tell, the ones they're cutting, you should not take it too seriously. It's probably sitting out there. It may not have been canceled. Another thing you can do is look at how old the job postings are. They're awfully hot right now. So if anything is even a month old, you may wonder why it hasn't been filled yet, why they're still running the, that ad. There's one thing. Another thing is that they're talking about is that some jobs are what you might call evergreen. In other words, if you have something like sales associates, restaurant workers, fields with high turnovers, well, your local pizza place may not need a 
counter person right now, but it's a very good chance they will within a month or two. So often they will just run ads for these things without saying whether they have them right now. And they also, there is a thing, an old corporate semi-scam was running an ad for a job where they had an internal candidate already picked out. So maybe for, they have some requirement, they feel they need run the ad and they want to see who else is out there and who will apply and how they compare to said internal candidate. But yes. So these things are out there. Be aware of it. Don't take it hard if you think you ran into a string of these without getting any responses or whatever. But yes, if if the application process looks really time-consuming, you may check out some other websites, get some information about what companies are laying off, maybe what positions they're laying off before you put in all this time and effort and hope. Right. No, definitely. It could be very disappointing when you you don't hear back from uh, from a job, when you, especially when you're looking for a job. So. The uh, the pandemic has changed a lot of things, uh, but you're saying the pandemic has failed to greatly increase automation. Why is that? Yes. Well, this is a story actually from The Economist, which started out saying it was meant to be a bloodbath. We were expecting large, large amounts of robots taking over. We have some of them. The robots are progressing. They are gaining employment, so to speak, but it wasn't nearly as strong as before. Well, one thing one thing happened is hmm, you have wages and such are still we're still having to compete with other countries and a lot of the robots and such have not really been quite ready. That's changing now. In fact, in last week's segment I was talking about the flippy robot that is being rolled out now to a hundred White Castles where previously it was one or five or ten or something we were hearing about. So a lot of things cannot be learned as well as they thought by robots. Also, the price difference is small sometimes. it's You have to be more confident, I think, than many of these businesses are that the robots are going to work out because they're hardly free. I mean, the, the flippy robot, which is really on the front line of job-replacing devices right now, even they get $3,000 a month. That's a good chunk less than what it takes to have a full-time restaurant worker now when you consider matching Social Security and other benefits and such things as well as the pay going way up, but it's not so hugely less that they can afford to put in robots without really thinking about this. Just remember that just because it's not happening in large quantities now, that does not mean it won't happen in the next even as soon as the next year. Jim, thank you so much for letting us know what's happening in the economic world and how it affects us here locally. We're talking to Jim Huntington from WorkShift Live. Thank you, Jim. And we'll talk to you next month in the first Wednesday of the month. Take care. Thank you, Patricio. Thank you, listeners.
Thank you so much to our first guest, Liam Mayo. Let us know what's happening in the news. We'll be back tomorrow, Thursday. We're talking to Wayne County. Also, we'll be checking in with the Liberty Rotary and find out why some of their members are jumping into the ice-cold waters of White Lake this Saturday. Find out why they're doing it. If you ever miss a show, we have a podcast. You can find us anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Google, Apple, Stitcher. Search for WJFF, the local edition. Subscribe, share it, tell your friends. Find us on social media. We're at WJFF Radio Catskill. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and TikTok. Visit our website, wjffradio.org slash the local edition. You'll find upcoming guests, see past guests, you can even listen to the show. You've been listening to The Local Edition. I've been your host for this Wednesday, Patricio Robayo. Have a good night, Lucy. This is Radio Catskill, your NPR station, WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support for Radio Catskill comes from 52 and Vine, a wine and spirit shop in Jeffersonville featuring local, national, and eclectic vintners and distillers. 52andvine.com. From the Upper Delaware Welcome Center at the Narrowsburg Union, featuring information about regional attractions and activities, along with products by the region's artists, artisans, makers, and craftsmen at Catskills Curated. Narrowsburgunion.com. I'm Jason Tuga, host of The Mixtape. Every Friday night, it's my goal to bring WJFF listeners great music. Music from all over the world. Stuff that's been lost in the archives and needs to be heard. Classics you already knew you loved. And new stuff from established and emerging artists. All right here on The Mixtape. WJFF Radio Catskill. Friday night at 7 on Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Radio Catskill.